So we had a midweek service for the Lifeway Church last Wednesday night, and uh, Raphael, our evangelist, led the Bible discussion there, and he started with a question that I want to consider again this morning. Do you remember the first time you visited this church? For many of us, it was a unique and powerful experience. And some of you may or may not have heard sort of my story, a little bit of my story. Uh, many years ago, I was a graduate student at the University of Florida, and I went to school down there. And actually, I came to this church. Nobody invited me to church. I found the church in the yellow pages. Yeah, so how many of you have no idea what yellow pages are? Okay. So, so here we go. A long, long time ago in a galaxy far away, before the internet was invented, before there were mobile phones, before there were smartphones, we did have phones, but they were all hardwired. There was a line from the telephone, uh, you know, the, the telephone lines that ran into your house, and there was a phone there, and it might have been a rotary phone. But if, um, if when we really got advanced, we, they were push-button, push-button phones. Yeah. So you may not relate to any of that, but because this was our thing, you know, there were yellow pages, and it was a big phone book, and then the front part of it was the white pages where you actually looked up the home telephone numbers of all the people in your community. Strange, right? And then at the back was the yellow pages where the businesses and whatever would advertise, and so I was just at a point in my life, I was looking for a church, and so I was looking in the back under the seas for churches. And I found the Crossroads Church of Christ, Gainesville, Florida. I was going to graduate school in there, and I could see they had the biggest ad. You know, it said, uh, students welcome. It was, I could tell by the address, it was near campus. And they had a student supper every Sunday night. So I was sold then. So I go to church. And the interesting thing was that the first time I went was on a Wednesday night. It was a midweek service, just so happened. School was starting the next Monday, and so I thought, well, I'll go. I didn't have any great expectations. Went on my own, and I really had never seen anything like it. Maybe you relate to it. I mean, first question I had when I got there was, why are there so many people here on a Wednesday night? Because the auditorium was packed. In every church that I'd ever been to, you know, if you did have a Wednesday night service or a midweek service, there would be like half as many people as were there on a Sunday. But the auditorium was packed on a Wednesday night. Why is the singing so beautiful? Why does everybody have an open Bible and they're taking notes? Why was the message so powerful and practical? I just never heard the Bible preached that way. And then when the service was over, why, why did everybody not just get up and leave? Why did they stay around? Why were they hugging each other? You remember the hugging? What is it with this church? And the hugging. You know, and so there's that. And then why did, I was the very first time, nobody invited me, so I'm a total stranger. A bunch of people lined up to talk to me. 
I don't know if they were concerned or something, but anyway. But I got invited, it was a Wednesday night, I got invited over to uh, uh, one of the single, single campus guys uh, had me over for uh, lunch that Saturday. And I left. You know, that was such a powerful experience. And I never have stopped attending this church since that night. In Matthew chapter 22, here's the answer to all those questions that I asked myself. Now, I didn't know the answer when I first showed up that Wednesday night, but I learned the answer to all the questions I had about what was so unique and special and powerful about this church. And it relates to what Jesus said Verse 34, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What I realized later that I found when I came to that church for the first time was I had finally found a church where people took the words of Jesus and this great summary of what it really means to be a Christian, to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, to love your neighbors yourself. I had finally found a church where people didn't just read the Bible. They didn't just know what the Bible said. They decided to live what the Bible said. They decided to be the people that Jesus called us to be. In every other church I'd ever been to, I had read these scriptures before. I had heard these ideas before. But perhaps this statement that Jesus makes that summarized the entire Bible and his whole ministry, perhaps it's not just a cool mission statement, a cool summary of what Jesus... Perhaps it is a life to be lived. Perhaps it is a church that we should be. What I learned that day and many days that follow is that Jesus is to be Lord of every area of my life. That if you're going to call yourself a Christian and legitimately be a Christian, you've got to be all in. All your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the problem with Christianity today so often is, there's several problems, but one of them is, you've got people calling themselves Christians and they're not all in. Jesus made it clear in his ministry, rich young ruler, many other times. It's all or nothing with him. He just wants us to love him as much as he loves us. Loving God means loving people. And I learned that in that church. What Jesus says, love your neighbors yourself. I learned that through relationships, church wasn't just a place you showed up on a Sunday. That there were relationships where they were deep and real and open and honest and we invested each other. And that we could 
through our friendships in the church and through our relationships in the church, we could speak the truth in love and we could help one another and we could transform one another to be more like Jesus. And then we could also love our, the, our neighbors and love the lost world and that this was everybody's responsibility. We all should get out and share our faith and care about lost people and love our neighbor as ourself. So here's the question. This is going to be some real truth that I think we need to consider. Have we, as a church, lost our way? Are there things that I've talked about here that once were true and once were characteristic of our fellowship that are no longer really true today? Do visitors who come to our service, do they still see the same things that I saw when I first came and that maybe you see, have saw when you first came? You know, we just had a midweek service. And uh, I love the question that Raphael asked. And, you know, I, as I share my story, the first time I came was at a midweek service. I wonder if we had a first-time visitor last Wednesday, if they would have walked out with the same impression of this church that I did when I first came. See, the truth is, Typical Sunday, today looks typical. We get the whole life we reason together. We have about 750 people here. Now that includes the auditorium and then also the children and the teachers that are not in here. You know what our attendance was last Wednesday night at our regional service? 450. There were 300 less people here in this auditorium four days ago. Have we lost our way? Now, I understand that there are good reasons to miss church. Whether it's a Sunday or with, always have been, always will be. And if you're one of those 300 that are here today, but you weren't here Wednesday, maybe perhaps you were sick. Perhaps you were out of town. Perhaps you had to work late. There could be good reasons to miss church. But if you're one of the 300 that wasn't here last Wednesday and you claim to be a member of the church of Jesus Christ, then I think you have to ask yourself, was I not here because I no longer Jesus is no longer Lord of my life? Was I not here because I no longer love my neighbor as myself? Was I not here because I don't value or prioritize my church family and my relationships in the church? These are the questions that we're going to ask ourselves today. Marty Fuquay. Be turning to your Bible, the book of 2 Peter chapter 1. Appreciate the uh, things that Reese shared. <clears throat> you know, when all six foot four of Reese showed up on that Wednesday night, <laughs> the college students must have said, whoa, who is that? 
course, I got to know him very well as time went on. In 2 Peter, we find Peter writing a second letter to all the Christians in the New Testament era. And I find it very interesting what he says to them. Let's read it together. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12. He says, so I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Isn't it interesting that Peter is, is very concerned that they have sort of forgotten some things. Now, I don't know if you ever forget things, <laughs> but I do. And I, I uh, embarrassingly find that the older I get, the more I seem to forget uh, things. But even as a young person, uh, you know, the, uh, the high school uh, group, the college group, uh, we, we forget things sometimes in our life. And he, he talks about these things. Remember these things. Remind you of these things. So what's he talking about? We've got to go back further in the passage. In verse 3, he said, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. He says, I want to remind you that God's given you everything you need to live the kind of life that would please God. He comes on down in verse 5. He says, for this very reason... Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and then he goes and adds a bunch of other kind of qualities there. But I want to really zero in on this, this terminology. For this very reason, make every effort. Now, this is not the first time this idea has come up. Look back in the, the New Testament, the book of Luke, chapter 13. Luke 13. Jesus brings up this idea of making every effort. Luke 13 and verse 22. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, so here's a question. Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? <laughs> That's a good question to ask. You know, if you only had one question, that'd be a good one to ask. Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Probably the idea was, am I going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Jesus, here again, also talks about this idea of make every effort effort. Now, generally speaking, in a person's spiritual life, when they first make Jesus Lord of their life, they're baptized into Christ, their sins are forgiven. The idea of making every effort is very fresh on their mind. It's very real in their heart. I've given my life to Jesus, and I need to be serious about it. I'd, I'd say 99 point something percent of people at the point of their baptism and, and directly after that, man, they understand I need to make every effort. 
But you know what happens to people over time? It's inevitable. It happens to me. It happens to everyone of you. It happens to anybody who makes that decision in their life is that they find out that making that decision isn't something that I make and I got it down. You know, there's some things in life, you get it, and once you get it, you got it. Two and two is? You got it. And you don't have to go to USC to get that. Two and two is four. We got it. We had it. We'll have it next week. If I ask you next week what's two and two, you already know the answer, don't you? You got it. Four. But you know, there's other things in our life that we know aren't constant. They're going to fluctuate. There are going to be times when you're in a better state and times you're in a worse state. It's inevitable. It happens. It happens in people's marriages. You go through a time where you're doing great with your wife or husband. You ever go through a time, eh, not so much. It goes through time in your, in your schoolwork. You know, a lot of us, college students, high school students, you know, starting out with school, you're doing great, and, you know, next week you're not. That kind of thing. Our spiritual life is like that. And going back to what Peter says, that's why Peter is so focused. He says, I want to remind you of these things because I'm going to be gone. He says, I'm, I'm, I know the Lord's made it clear to me I'm not going to live forever and, and I may be dying soon. I want to make sure you got this stuff in your life so that you'll be able to get yourself back where you need to be in your life. I want to remind you of where you need to be. For many of us, we need to think back to a time in our life when we were a lot more fired up about our commitment to Christ than we are now. When the thought of, of missing a service was a big deal. You know, if you think about the things of the Christian life, when you begin to lose your enthusiasm, what, what happens? Uh, well, uh, you don't have a time of Bible study every day in, in, your, in your life. You don't pray quite as much as you used to. Uh, you might miss a service of the church. You, you don't share your faith with, with those that you would invite to church or talk to people about their spiritual life. These things begin to sort of fall off, don't they? And they, they begin to be something that you would, I never would do that. Maybe that happens in your life. That's when you've got to say, hey, I'm beginning to lose it a little bit here. I need to get back to this make every effort religion. Now look over to uh, 2 Timothy chapter uh, 3. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is writing to Timothy about the idea of how do you lead the church? How do you minister uh, to the church? He says a whole bunch of things to them. We don't have time to hit all of it, but I want to zero in on one particular thing. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. So he says, Timothy, I want you to pay attention here. This is a big deal. I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. So in other words, hey, you need to be prepared at all times to bring the word of God powerfully. And then he goes on to say, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. 
three things here. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. Now, you've got to imagine that Timothy is ministering to a church maybe not unlike the church here today. Everybody's not at the exact same spot, right? The person right next to you may be in a different spot spiritually than you are. And so he says, for some people, correction is appropriate. For some people, rebuke. For some people, encouragement. Now, for correction to be in order, what has to be present? An error. A mistake. You ever make a mistake in your life? (laughs) I bet you do. I bet I do. All of us do. And there's times that we need to be corrected. We've done wrong. We're not necessarily bitter-hearted and bad-hearted about it, but we made a bad choice. We need to be corrected. There's a time when correction is appropriate. Now, how about rebuke? what, What has to be present for a rebuke to be in order? How about hard-heartedness? Maybe someone who didn't listen to a correction. You know, a a rebuke is just a correction with enthusiasm. (laughs) And you know what I'm saying. Now, what, what has to be present for encouragement to be in the right time? Someone that's just lost their, their courage. They need to be encouraged. They need to be built up. They need to be strengthened. There's some people here today that need to be corrected. There's some people here today that need to be rebuked. There's some people here today that need to be encouraged. Now you're all wondering, which one am I? You know? I don't know. But that's a great question for you to ask. Am, am, am I hard-hearted? If you are hard-hearted, the only person really ever is going to really change a person being hard-hearted is himself. No one can make you be good-hearted. But you can decide to be good-hearted anytime you want to. If you make mistakes, you can listen to people who correct you, and you can do right instead of doing wrong. And if you're just d- discouraged... You can be built up, and you can be encouraged, and, and you can be strengthened. As a matter of fact, that's one of the main reasons that we come together for church, is to encourage each other and build each other up as, as we're all together and seeing each other and those kind of things. I want to leave you with this last thought. We don't really have time to develop it because I'm already a minute over my time. Sorry. In the book of Acts chapter 3, Paul, or Peter rather, is preaching to the people, and he says he's in, he encourages them, he says, to repent so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. This is a time as a church, and I'm going to talk more about this the next Wednesday night. I hope you'll be there. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm talking about uh, individual and collective repentance. This is a time of repentance that will bring about a time of refreshing. God help us.
Amen. Isn't this awesome? Uh, my name is Rafael Lua, and uh, I get a chance to work with this amazing ministry team here at Lifeway Church. Uh, we directly, my wife and I, lead the Spanish ministry in San Gabriel, uh, but we work together to help lead the ministry here in Lifeway. And I got to say, we are incredibly blessed uh, to work along with the ministry team that we have. Uh, from the Quintanillas, working with the teen ministry, uh, to the Ardrons, working with the college ministry, uh, the Fongs, working with the Glendale Spanish ministry, and then uh, the Fiques, the Neelands, and, uh, you know, us, they're part of that team. It's such an incredible group of people. And I got to say, it's really encouraging to be able to work together. And so, again, if you're visiting with us this morning, uh, you've had kind of, you barged into kind of a family meeting, a family talk. And you're very welcome, and we want you to feel part of this family. And the great thing, as Reese was mentioning, is, you, hey, you get to see what it's all about. And get to see, you know, how serious uh, we desire to take our relationship with God and our commitment to God here together. Amen. And, uh, you know, it, it has been a process, and we're gr very grateful for God working through us with a lot of patience. And uh, we have been uh, discussing together. I know uh, it's great to be able to teach this morning with Reese and Marty and myself. Uh, to have uh, brothers that I admire and I respect so very much uh, throughout so many years that we've been able to work together. But it's amazing, even working together throughout so many years, uh, we had to sit down together and discuss and talk about, hey, what, where do we see the church? Uh, where do we see our ministries? Where, where do we see things going together, even with ourselves? And we had very frank, very good discussions, very vulnerable discussions, and very difficult discussions because we really wanted to make sure we were in the on the same page. It's kind of the senior, older members of the ministry team. We want to make sure that, hey, we're on the same page so then we can make sure the rest of the ministry team is on the same page. And then we, got, we made sure with the whole entire ministry team that, hey, we're going to be on the same page on where, what we're going to do here together as a church. And, and so we went and worked that together with the ministry team. And then we went to the small group leaders. And we had a meeting where we kind of went through all of us together. And I got to say, we have an incredible group of leaders that, that lead small groups here within our church. I'm going to talk a little bit more about what that is. Uh, and, and, but they're incredible lay leaders that are not uh, uh, full-time in the ministries, but they do work to help lead the church and to see what you see here today. And the response was amazing. It was, it was really an incredible meeting together. But um, we are talking about revitalizing our commitment. And Reese uh, talked about Jesus being the Lord of every area of our lives. And great question, have we lost our way? You know, Reese talking, uh, Marty talking about making every effort and really making sure we're being called back to that type of commitment and heart and spirit in our relationship with God. Amen. But I really want to make sure that uh, nobody here gets the wrong idea. Uh, really, as ministers and ministry leaders, uh, we take responsibility uh, for the way we've led the church. Uh, primarily, we are here as shepherds, as people who need to guide people towards God and to guide people uh, towards uh, what God expects and what the Bible calls us to and what Jesus wants us all, all to live out. And we take absolute responsibility. Uh, we're not, we don't want you to feel down or feel down on yourselves. We just want you to join in with what we've realized we've failed in we have not been calling the church to and want to say, hey, let's remind us to do that and let's do this together. Amen. Come along and let's do this together. But primarily, 100 percent, I want you guys really to hear this. We take absolute responsibility. And if there's any responsibility you need, need to take, then the Lord and God will guide you towards that. And we want to do this together. Amen. But we absolutely take responsibility as a ministry 
15. Amen. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. You know, it's important to mention as we talk about things that we need to work in, to mention some of the positive things in our church. Amen. To, to, to do some appreciative inquiry. What are the things that God is doing and has been doing around us and in us and through us that I think is important to mention? Uh, I think, you know, uh, one of the great things, if you guys remember, uh, back in uh, last summer, we started to talk about reaching out. We had midweeks about reaching out. And the encouraging thing as we had those midweeks, uh, our midweeks started to grow. We started to get more and more people coming out to our midweek services. And we all talked about reaching out and making sure that we're outward focused. And the response was incredible because in the fall, we had a, 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 a span of about three or four months where we saw not 10, not 20, but almost 30 people be baptized in that time. We had one day when we had three teens baptized at the same time, at the same moment. You guys all remember that, right? So it's just, you know, that, wow, how incredible. We have a lot of young Christians, a, long, a lot of young teens. The, the, the teens uh, in 2017, I think there's about 14 teens baptized. Young people baptized. And so you're like, hey, amen, that's incredible. A lot of young Christians in the church. 2017, you might not know this, but it was our, our best giving year we've ever had as the Lifeway Church, at least in the, in the last time that the group that's been working here has been looking at things. Uh, that's really encouraging. That's a very, very good thing. Uh, we have incredible volunteers, incredible volunteers from people that work in the children's ministry. I know walking in this morning to that room, seeing Marty leading the communion with all that group of people that are with our kids right now. Doing a tremendous job. My kids have grown up in that teen ministry. I mean, I'm sorry, in that children's ministry and then through the youth ministry and teen ministry. And I got to say, I remember when our kids were, were small and they would come up and talk about spiritual things. And my wife and I would look at each other and we'd say, did you teach them that? No, I, well, I didn't teach them that either. They got it somewhere. You know where they got it? In the children's ministry, amen. Incredible volunteers there, uh, ushers, greeters, counters. Uh, uh, members of the Regional Financial Advisory Committee, uh, the incredible music ministry, the different ministry teams, music teams that we have in both worship centers, incredible volunteers. We just had our youth camps and our teen camp. We have an incredible group of people that go and spend their entire week with the kids serving, amen? Wow, that, I mean, that's incredible. We have some mature members in our church. We have some people that have been here for a long time. We have some long-toothed brethren around, uh, around here, right? And what does it mean if you're a mature member? It means that you're still here, right? You're still here. Now, we might not be doing awesome, but, but we're still here, and that counts for something, amen? We are still here, and some of us, we're still here after not just 10 years, not just 20 years, but almost reaching 30 years or even 30 years. We are still here. That's something, amen? In the midst of things and changes we need to make, there are some standout small groups. There are some small groups that are doing great things. There's some small groups that are having baptisms, that are growing, that are meeting regularly, that are discipling one another, that are helping each other spiritually, amen? You know, uh, people that visit our ministry, and I know we're talking about things that we need to do better, and that's we do, and we'll, you know, we'll zero in on these, those things. But there's it, it, almost universal people that come and visit and come and, and be in our worship service. They always say, wow, what a great church. What a great service. What an encouraging time. It, I mean, I've never heard anybody come and say, well, I'm never going to be back here again. Maybe because they didn't come the next time, but, you know. <laughs> but, in, I mean, in general, I mean, it just, it just, they're so excited. What a great church. What a great 
service. I think in general, we're a happy group of people. I think that, and that's a good thing. Joy is from the Lord, amen? And joy is there in regardless of what's going on. And I think that's a very encouraging thing. But as, as Reese and Marty uh, shared here a little bit, we have noticed some things that I think we really need to address. One of those, Reese mentioned our midweek attendance. Uh, to have only half of the people coming to church on Wednesday night. It's concerning. It's concerning because I know not everyone is sick or not everyone had a flat tire. That there are other things coming into our mind that are making us think, you know what, maybe I shouldn't go. And maybe it's, ah, you know, I don't like the theme or what's being discussed. Or I don't like the fact that it's going to be in English and I speak mostly Spanish. Or I don't like the fact that it's in Glendale and it's not in San Gabriel. Or it's, it's in this place and it's not near me. Or uh, I don't like the fact that, you know, my kids are going to have to stay uh, awake a little bit longer on a Wednesday night. And, and so we start making all these decisions that keep us away from church. And it's concerning because it's not what God wants us to be. Amen. And so that's not that's a trend we need to turn around. And we're not going to discuss this very much for our weekly giving, even though 2017 was a great year, has gone down. We have not met our budget commitment that we made together. And I think that's also concerning. The number of people being converted. You know, and it's important for all of us that we understand what the Bible's uh, a conviction on this, that, that we should all seek to be the best that we can without comparing ourselves to others. That's what Galatians 6, 4 through 5 says. And I believe that God, as we look at this group, this is an incredible group of people. I believe that God wants to use us even more powerfully to, to see more and more people be saved. And we are concerned with the amount of people that are being converted, that are being baptized. And you can say, well, compared to other groups, I think we're doing pretty good. Or compared to these other uh, sister ministry teams or regions in the Los Angeles church, we're doing pretty good. Or in the United States, we're doing pretty good. But I don't think that's what it's all about. I think we all know what God desires and expects of all of us. And so we're concerned about that. So I want to talk about some shared commitments. And as we kind of head into our time of communion together. Our time of remembering Jesus and his sacrifice, remembering what he did on the cross, remembering what significance that's supposed to have for each and every one of our lives. As we head to that moment, I want to talk about some shared commitments. You know, um, we all have individual commitments. And some of our individual commitments might not be the commitment that somebody else has. You know, my wife has ran three full marathons. Uh, and, and runs. And I mentioned I, and with the small group leaders, you know, Connie Cosberg, she likes to uh, run races. Um, you, know how many, you know how many marathons I have ran? Zero. Now I've been there. I've been there in the finish line. I've brought the flowers. I've encouraged. I've, I've even, you know, taken video and run at the end. The very last 10 meters or so, I've kind of ran as, you know, she's coming through, right? But that's her commitment, and we're involved in, a, in as much as we're supporting her as a family, but it really is not our family commitment. I have a two, two other children that are, they love to run races, and another child that runs everywhere he goes. But, you know, that's, you know, and that's awesome, but it's really more her commitment. But we also have shared commitments as a family, things that we do together because this is what we do as a family. When we had our, you know, when they were little, we had our family times. We did it together. When we had our, our Lua cheer, you don't want to hear it, but it's a cool Lua cheer, you know. We all did it together. It, I'll tell it to you. It's basically, 
Lua, Lua, Lua. That was it, three times, you know? And it was amazing. I mean, it was a get ready for some deep spiritual time as a family. It was uh, unbelievable. But, you know, we do have some, some, some things that we share together. So we're talking this morning about shared commitments and things that we're going to do together, that we have decided to do together. And these are the things that uh, I want to bring before all of you that we discuss with all the small group leaders and make sure we're all on the same page. Amen. The church is the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. It's the outpost of God's kingdom. We're supposed to be a contrast community. We're not just any other group or any other organization. We are an outpost of the kingdom of God. And as we mentioned Wednesday night, this is not a me church. It's a we church. Amen? This is, this is not a church that's about you. It's about y'all. Can we all say that together? Y'all. Because it's about community. And so we're talking about some shared commitments. And so here's some of the things that we're all going to commit to. One of those is everyone faithfully attend all the meetings. And that means Sundays and that means Wednesday nights. That means those small group leaders meetings as well. You know, I know we do have families with children. I know we are one of those families. Uh, and I, I guarantee you that bringing your family to a midweek on a Wednesday night uh, is not going to kill your children and their future academically. You know, my kids made it through. The ones that are going to college right now, they, they, somehow they made it with coming to Wednesday nights. And they still, I mean, they're, they're, they're in college. Amen. Now they have to finish college, so maybe we have to wait to that, for that one. But... I think the fact that only half of the people come to midweek is, is not right, is not correct. Now, it was very encouraging because after we had our small group leaders meeting, we'd typically be having 300 you know, adults coming to midweek. Guess how many we had the next midweek after the small group leaders meeting? 416. So we had 160 more people that we've been typically having. Just because we, like, we just talked about it, and people were like, oh, yeah, you know what? I need to come. You know? And we need to, when we say we've got we to come, let's come. Let's both come. Our midweeks are from 7.30 to 8.30. You can take that to the bank. I mean, sometimes we might be like 7.35. I went to a midweek in another ministry that ended after 9 p.m. And everybody was there. You know, I mean, we, we try to be really sensitive to everybody, but work with us together, amen? But we are going to commit all of us to attend faithfully all the meetings. And no one in the Bible is going to tell you that Sunday is more important than, than Wednesday. If that's how you believe, then you have much more of a typical religious mindset than what the Bible teaches us. Lifestyle in Christ is about daily. And so we're going to attend our meetings faithfully. Number two, everyone will be involved in discipling partnerships that meet regularly. What is a discipling partnership? We believe in this church and not just helping people become followers of Jesus or what Jesus called disciples. But we believe in making sure we all continue to get trained spiritually. And Jesus says to go and make disciples of all nations, and then you baptize them. And then you teach them to obey everything. So we, we believe in that mentoring partnership. And so we're calling every member to be in a discipling or a mentoring partnership that meets regularly. That means at least every other week together. Amen? And I got to say, it's one of the most encouraging things that I've had 
in my life as a Christian. And lastly, every member be part of a functioning small group that meets regularly, at least every other week. You know, some people have come and talked to me and said, you know what, I, I'm, I'm in a group. And when I talk about a small group, we're talking about a group uh, that's, that meets together in a home. That's maybe, you know, three to six couples, some may be a little bit uh, uh, bigger than that, but that meet regularly to encourage one another, to look at the scriptures, or to work together, or to even to disciple one another together. To mentor one another together. But that meets at least every other week. And so I've talked to some people that come up and said, you know what, our, our group has not met since the last presidency. I mean, it's, it's been a long time. So we're not even talking about meeting every other week. We're talking about not meeting at all or meeting just when there's a birthday or meeting when there's a, you know, a party or a Super Bowl or a game. Or I think we really need to make sure we get back to where we need to be. Amen. So these are the three things. And look what the Bible says in Acts chapter two. Verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They devoted themselves Everyone was filled with awe and the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Who added to their number? Who brought the growth? But what were the people doing? They were devoting themselves. I believe if we devote ourselves, we do the you all, the we together, then God will bring many, many, many blessings to the church. And so you might say, hey, Raphael, you know, wow, you know, coming to all the services, being in a, in, in a uh, mentoring partnership, discipling partnership, and, and being in a small group, you know, I'm not sure that's for me. And if that's the case, then you're welcome to come to all the parties. If we cut a cake for a birthday, you're going to get a piece of the cake. We're going to love you. You're going to be loved. But we're talking about shared commitments. And so there's an aspect of that. If we're going to do this, we're going to do this together. And maybe if that's not where you're at, maybe it's a good time to figure out, do I either get to where I need to be, or maybe this is not the level of commitment that I want to have in my life spiritually. But when we talk about we're going to do this share, we're going to do this together. And so as we think about Jesus, as we think about his sacrifice, as, he, as we think about the cost of our redemption and our salvation, I want you to think about what are we willing to do in response what am I willing to do in response? You know, repentance, and Marty's going to, I'm excited about this lesson we're going to do in a couple of weeks here on a Wednesday night on repentance, individually and collectively. Repentance is a good word. Change is a good word. And that's what God is calling us to do this morning. And so, guys, it's a time of encouragement and refreshing will come. So I'm excited.
to see what God is going to do as we become more and more the type of church that God wants us to become. So as we pray together for the communion, for the bread that represents the broken body of Jesus, as we take the cup that represents the fruit of the vine, the blood that was spilled that is now the forgiveness of our sins, let's individually think about what we need to change, what we need to do different, what excuses we've been making to not be wholehearted, to not make every effort in our relationship with God. And I call all of us to do it together, to do it together in honor of what Jesus so wholeheartedly did for us. Amen? Let's go to God in prayer at this time. Uh, Heavenly Father, we come before you first and foremost uh, humbled. Humbled that uh, you love us in such a great and profound way that you decided to make a way for us to have a relationship with you that's eternal, for us to be with you forever, uh, not just alone, but all of us together, and that that way involves such a great level of sacrifice for you and for your son dying in such a horrible and terrible way on that cross. Father, in no way do we want to mis- minimize that sacrifice by our flippancy spiritually or our lack of devotion. We want to and desire to be devoted to you. Father, in the, in the ways that we're lacking, we pray that you fill those areas for us. We pray for your Holy Spirit to move inside of us. God, we feel weak many times. We fail many times. We rebel. Uh, Father, we don't want to be that way. We don't. We, we want to please and honor you. I pray that as we focus on the cross this morning, that you help us to be those people that we desire so much to be for you. We love you, and we thank you, and we praise you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.